Before we start our episode today, I just want to mention that during our conversation, we very briefly touch on issues relating to well-being, depression and suicide. If these topics bring up issues for you, in Australia, you can call Lifeline on 13 11 14. And for listeners who are listening elsewhere around the world, there is a link in the show notes with helplines appropriate for your country. I hope you enjoy this conversation. It's a really powerful conversation and I hope you find it really worthwhile. Welcome to the Habits of Leadership podcast brought to you by Cut Through Coaching, helping leaders and their teams to thrive professionally and personally. Hello and welcome to episode 22 of the Habits of Leadership podcast. My name's Dan Hasler and joining me today, I'm absolutely delighted to say in the house, live, in person at Cut Through HQ is Liesl Jones. Liesl is a four-time Olympian, winning nine medals, which puts her alongside Ian Thorpe as Australia's most decorated Olympian. She burst onto the scene as a 15-year-old in the 2000 Olympics and went on to be regarded as one of the world's greatest ever breaststroke swimmers. She won multiple medals at not only the Olympics, but World Championships, Commonwealth Games, picking up a world record or two along the way. But it wasn't without challenges, which she wrote about in her 2015 book, Body Lengths. Um, I first met Liesl um, only a few weeks ago at a, at a workshop I was running and um, she very graciously offered to give me a lift back um, to the airport and we got chatting and um, I boldly invited her um, onto uh, the podcast and she very graciously agreed to that as well. So Liesl, thank you so much um, for joining us here and I'm really looking forward to having a chat. My pleasure. So I have just um, picked up and finished your book in about two days max, but probably about, I don't know, five hours reading time total. And um, one It's of not the, a picture book. It's not a picture, no. <laughs> a, and, and I've got to be honest, I probably have skimmed it. I'm going to definitely reread it. But just to in order to prepare for, for our chat today, I wanted to uh, have, a, have a, you know, a real good look at it. And um, I'll tell you what, the first thing that, that hit me was the bit on the back. And it says, for anyone who's not picked it up at the airport or, or whatever, it says, from the moment I was born, I'm like no one else around me. I'm a fish out of water, even in the pool. And I just thought, for somebody who is, um, well, Australia's, you know, mo- we've won as many medals as anyone, well, more medals than anyone else in, um, other than Thorpey. I yep. think that's right. Mm-hmm. Um, to, to, I mean, you can sort of say, yeah, fish out of water, I get that, I get that. But then you say, oh, in the pool as well. I'm, I'm really interested, just that whole dynamic, that phenomenon of, of feeling out, like a fish out of water. What, what talk, take, take us back to... Yeah, from the moment you were born, because that's an interesting story in itself. Yeah, pretty much. Well, I was born in Catherine in the Northern Territory, so uh, in an Aboriginal community. So my parents were working in an Aboriginal community in Wave Hill, so I was born in Catherine. So it's a little bit of a strange upbringing. I think it's probably a little bit different, so I've got a different perspective on life and, and growing up in the Territory. So that was definitely probably almost a fish out of water time because I was so different in that area, in that community. So that was a little bit interesting. But I think in terms of that fish out of water, even in the water, was sort of a feeling of not being very comfortable with myself Mm. and not knowing who I was properly and not having a full understanding. And it took me my entire career to learn Mm. who I was. And look, I'm still figuring it out a little bit now, Mm. but that sort of not knowing who I was, what made me tick, what made me work the best – 
yeah, so it's probably that feeling of not being super comfortable with myself. Yeah, and I mean, it, it's an interesting one because your um, childhood, your adolescence, I mean, the, the time when maybe a lot of people are kind of um, starting at least to think about those things, certainly not figuring it out by any means, but certainly start to think about those things. At 14, um, you get given a car. At 15, you're in the Olympics, and at 16, you buy a house. It's like, what the, you know, like what sort of, um, you know, who, who does that, right? Yeah, I guess I kind of fast tracked those things <laughs> a little bit. Uh, buying a house at 16 or building a house at 16 is probably not really on most people's agendas. It was certainly on mine. But yeah, I think my, my, my entire life has probably been fast tracked from the moment I was 14. Mm. So the, I think that pressure to figure out who you are and what you like and what makes you tick, I was doing that in front of cameras and public attention and the media eye. So it does make you grow up very quickly. Yeah, I can imagine. So, well, no, actually, I probably can't. That's the point, actually. I probably can't imagine. I've, I have no understanding of what that's like, actually. And so that's what I'm hoping to maybe get out of, of our chat here is to try and, you know, most – I'm going to – you know what, there probably are a couple of people listening to this who are elite athletes because there are people we work with who I know listen. Um, but other than that, the vast majority of people listening to this might think they know what it's like because they read, they might think they know you because they've seen you on TV and, and stuff like that. But I'm, I'm really interested to try and dig into that space a little bit of, well, what's it actually like? Because from the outside, it looks pretty cool. Yeah. You know, particularly if I'm going down a mine or if I'm driving a truck all day or if I'm going to an office to a job that you know what I'm pretty average at and I'm not really that keen and my boss is a bit of a dick <laughs> you know like it, like swimming doesn't look that it's sport in general doesn't look that that tough and you know or, or bad like what you know we often hear people, what are they complaining about so yeah I'm really keen to try and help people maybe understand a little bit more about that and the reason you're so interesting, for me anyway, is that not only have you got this obviously fantastic um, history in sport, but you're also now studying organisational psychology. Yeah. 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 So super interesting so far. I've just got a huge passion to learn about the brain and how it works and how we can utilise it to work better and, and to function a little bit better. So yeah, I'm super interested in it. I'm only first year, so it's pretty mm. bland at the moment. But Don't, uh, don't tell your lecturers that. No, it's I really won't. really interesting. Really <laughs> interesting. Yeah, exactly. So yeah, it's just, it's really interesting. And over my time having mental health issues, I've got a heap of interest in when it goes wrong and, and when the brain's not working optimally and things like that. So, yeah, studying psychology is certainly a path that, that fascinates me and, and just getting people to work in better environments or to get the best out of themselves is super fascinating because I'm pretty lucky in sport that I worked in an environment where I worked with my best mates every single day. Mm. I worked with very like-minded people who are the best in the world at what they do. And I don't think many people get that opportunity to work with people who are by far the best in the world, who mm. can undeniably say that they are the best because they're Olympic champions or yeah. world record holders. So I have a really keen interest in what in working in those environments or looking at environments that aren't working so well and what you can do to make them better. Look, you can't work every day with elite athletes or uh, world champions every single day, maybe in an office environment, mm. but uh, you can certainly take some key elements from those pieces and make an, uh, an environment a little bit more enjoyable and a little bit more successful. Yeah, so that's a really interesting um, avenue that, that that is where I want to um, start really is um, exploring that idea of how how do we balance and maybe balance is even the wrong word but how, how but I'm going to use it how do we balance the highest performance we can get out of people 
with ensuring that you know their well-being is is looked after um you know the idea our tagline is we help people to thrive so it, it and and you know I'm, I'm constantly challenged by is that a um a false hope is it even is it an either or um and i guess i'm really interested given your story and your, your journey and the, as you say you know the the, the issues that you've had um mentally and and you know, perhaps even physically or whatever, all the stuff that comes with it. Mm. Uh, I'm really interested from the outset. Is it, do you? Is it a false hope, or or can we get both? Athlete wellbeing is such a huge keyword at the moment. We're really diving deep and looking into, pardon the pun, looking <laughs> into uh, how we can get athletes to perform at their best, but also balance their life out as well. And this is something that certainly I didn't do very well. I think I had pretty terrible balance. It was all very much sport. It was all very much winning Olympic gold medals. It was Olympic gold medals or bust. That was mm. it. So I I have not done that very well. I don't know how to do that very well. So it is such a key highlight word at the moment mm. now and it's something we're trying to achieve. I don't know how capable or how well we will be able to do that. Mm. So it's... It's a real challenge because in swimming, the difference between gold and silver is 0.01 of a second. Mm. And the difference between winning gold and silver is a lot of money Mm. and a lot of sponsorship and a lot of different things. So for me, focusing on winning Olympic gold was the most important thing. And so a lot of things fell by the wayside. But that's where I've gone really wrong and that's where I've struggled. So I've been retired for seven years now. I've found that really hard. I don't have a bachelor's degree in anything. Mm. I don't have any further study and so... When I'm applying for roles, that's the piece that I'm missing. I don't have any work experience. I don't have any degrees. Mm. So I'm really struggling to gain to gain anything, to get work, to do any of that. So going back, I should have studied. I mm. definitely I think that is a huge mistake on my part and I take full ownership for that. That is you left school at fifteen, at right? 15, you went, I'm yeah. done. I'm done, yeah. 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 And look, I, I should have stayed in school and I do mm. tell other athletes that's what you need to be doing is staying in school and if you can, study as well. Do a university degree. You've got a lot of time on your hands, especially for swimmers. We had a lot of time in the middle of the day. I very easily could have done a university degree in that time. I had mm. the time to do it. So there's no excuses. I think you definitely should be getting out there. But if that's the balance, even if you don't love it, it doesn't matter. It's about having something behind you that you can use once you retire. So We're getting there very slowly. I don't know whether there's optimal balance or I don't know that anyone's going to nail it 100%, but at least have something to back you up. Yeah. I mean, you left school at 15, so you bought a house, your mum moved in with you, and I think in your book you sort of say, you know, if this all goes wrong, I can't go home to my mum's house because mum's living in my house. That's right, yeah, exactly. So when you're the main breadwinner, it all falls on your shoulders, yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's... um, I just want to read a quote in your book, which hit me, you know, it says this, um, and this is after um, what you define as your apocalypse at the Acropolis. <laughs> yes. So, so, I uh, am not responsible for that quote. My, oh, you're not, the ghostwriter right. Felicity is amazing. Yeah. So she, she came up, she's the creative one. She's yeah. brilliant. Yeah. So, so for anyone who um, can't remember, Athens wasn't a great time for you is would that is that fair well when i look back i was so critical of myself i came out with a gold silver and bronze medal at an olympic <laughs> that's not game. great that's not great that was terrible what that's a rubbish. shock what the hell have you done with <laughs> your life honestly you are such a failure what are you even doing what yeah. i won a medal in every event mm. that i went in yeah. so i look back on that now it's really not a failure at the time it mm. was huge it but was let, a really big point yeah so the point that, that you, you the 
the bit that in the book which just hit me was so you're speaking about this and it says people often tell me what an honor it is to be an olympian it's such an achievement just to be there they say let me tell you this i don't get up at 4 a.m every morning and swim 12 kilometers a day just to be there i don't do three hour gym sessions just to be there i don't do weights until i cry i don't eat like a robot and i didn't give up school and my friends and being a normal kid just to be get, be there i do it to win and when i don't win when I come third in an Olympic final that I'm the fastest qualifier for, for, when that happens, it hurts so much, I want to die. And you know, <laughs> and that's that's not over-egging it, right? That's no. not, that's genuinely how you felt. Yep, exactly. Because that's exactly what we went there for. I was more than capable of winning gold and I had won two silvers in Sydney, so four years earlier and felt that I was more than capable and I had coaches at the time that were telling me that I was unbeatable, that no one else was doing the work that I was doing, which may well have been 100% true, but it's putting it together on the day. And I didn't have all the skills behind me to to balance out the pressure of that environment. So it was the be-all and end-all. And when it didn't come together, everything fell apart. So if I, you know, talking about well-being and balance mm. if I had a little bit more balance or something to fall back on maybe that pressure wouldn't have been so much and mm. maybe I wouldn't have put that pressure on myself mm. to win and because I felt like a huge failure if I went there for silver or bronze because I was more than capable of winning gold yep. I was just beaten on the day so I can't control that I can't control what other people do but mm. if I had more balance to fall back on I might have been a bit more relaxed mm. I might have swum a little bit differently but I didn't learn that for a very long time. So yeah. if if I can teach any other athletes, it's to have that balance and and take that pressure off any way possible. Mm. It's very hard to do. But yeah. once you do that, it makes it eases off the pressure and that way you can swim a little bit more freely. Yeah. So, I mean, you t you've spoken a lot there about the pressure you put on yourself and we might talk about that a little bit later, but I'm actually also interested in the pressure, for want of a better word, uh, the input you get from coaches mm. and, and how that can either serve you well um, and, and it can probably serve you well in one domain and less so in, in another. So it might do wonders for your I don't know, technique, yep. but less or endurance or grit or yes, yeah, yeah. And maybe less for the, the well-being side of things. So I'm curious um, as because after um, after Athens, you you I, th I believe you, you made a swap. You made mm. a, so you've had different coaches. I'm curious to um, hear what what are the different dynamics between coach and athlete? And you could read this like boss and employee, parent and son, daughter. And mm, mm. um, how do those different um, dynamics? How did they play out for you in either bringing the best out of you, performance-wise, well-being-wise, um, both at the same time, or or, or how? Mm. I was really lucky throughout my entire career to work with four really great coaches, and all of them had different strengths and different weaknesses, and some were very high on levels of discipline and so my coach Ken Wood was very very amazing at that doesn't even sound like English but very amazing at, it's good it's good <laughs> it's we'll good. go with that yeah, we'll roll with that yeah. is at, at, at teaching discipline about mm. getting the job done stop complaining stop whinging just get it done uh, don't back chat don't ask questions just get the work done yeah. and to be honest that was such a brilliant skill to learn at the age of 13 14 15 16 and 
because you don't learn that anywhere else and it's such a pivotal time in your life it's such a big learning experience and for me to learn that at such a young age I'm so grateful I had that Mm. and because you don't learn that anywhere else I think sport is so wonderful for teaching you that not many coaches I don't think you can get away with it now I think Mm. it's probably uh (laughs) you know in terms of doing 1500 fly with shoes on and things like that it's that so just say that again because that m- people yeah. might miss that. So, so he would make you swim. How fi- many lengths? Uh, oh, geez, I don't know. Um, What's fifteen hundred lengths? It's a lot. It must be thirty lengths. So, no, yeah, must be yeah. Thirty lengths. A is butterfly. It? A butterfly, sh- which no one can do with right? shoes on. So I'm talking about the average person with. So with no shoes one can on. do butterfly. Yep. yep. Thirty lengths with your shoes on. That's right. Yep. So <laughs> it's things like that that. Um, <laughs> You just you don't get taught to do that any <laughs> no. without complaining. Also, don't, don't yeah. back chat. Yeah, don't. And if you cry, leave your goggles on. So, yeah. <laughs> where else do you learn to do things like mm. that? It's really punishment. But mm. um, and even as a childhood coach, um, with Bessa bricks above my head to tread water for twenty minutes, and um, you know what? Those skills though are really wonderful. I, this sounds very morbid, and I do mm. apologize in advance. But I always think if I'm on a plane, if this plane crashes here, can I swim to the shore? And I'm like, yes, I could make it from here. No, I can't make it from there. <laughs> yeah. So just that, quietly, if just, a plane crashes, it, your ability to swim, swim is probably is, probably <laughs> is negated. yeah. That's right. That's right. Um, if I manage to get out the door, right, okay, yeah. if all things go well after that, if we get yeah. a beautiful um, pilot like yeah. the one that landed in the Hudson River, yes, yes. then I then could swim. Then you're sweet. Yeah. And fine. you could take someone with you as that's well. That's right. Yeah, I'll take yeah. everyone. Yeah, I'll save yeah. everyone. So that if that's a skill that I've got, then yeah. that's fantastic. Yeah. Um, although that was freezing cold water, so I probably would have, yeah, the ice like would you're have gone. Win- oh, you're whatever. a bit whingy with cold water. I am a you're little bit. Yeah, that's right. So so that theory is out the window anyway. But if you need anyone listen to this on a plane oh, like they've yes, just downloaded I do, this I do, do apologise and if I'm not on the <laughs> yeah. flight with you I'm very sorry hopefully you've got maybe Grant Hackett or yeah. Ian Thorpe or someone else on your flight um, don't think like no. that it's definitely not going to happen um, <laughs> but yeah so talking about Ken is that that discipline I'm so grateful that I was exposed to a coach like that and it was it was a really tough lesson to learn at the time but you just don't get those skills anywhere else. And I'm very grateful for that. Um, It was very tough at the time. So let me ask you then, right? If you don't get those skills anywhere else other than swimming 30 (laughs) lengths butterfly in your shoes, right? And we're sort of now in 2020 going, you know what? I don't know if we'd have kids doing that. So a very real question is, so if you don't get it anywhere else, but we're saying, well, you're not going to be able to do that, where would we get it from? I think it comes in different packages for different people and I've never worked in a corporate, sorry, I have worked in a corporate environment. Mm. I managed it for six months. Mm. I think that's discipline. If you're able to do that, I think Mm. that's a really great skill, but it doesn't have to be physical like that. I think Mm. it can come in many different forms and even if kids are in sport, that teaches skills. It doesn't have to be to that level. Mm. That's quite extreme and that's for (laughs) Olympic level athletes. Um, In terms of what we would get every day, I think sometimes... Resilience, I think people have it, but they don't realise it just looks packaged. It's packaged differently. Mm. So some people have dealt with things in their life that I've never had to deal with. It might be trauma or things that have happened in their families or, you know, horrible things that have happened to them. That's resilience. Mm. You don't need to physically do 1500 fly with shoes Mm. on to be resilient and to be a strong person, strong character. Some of the things that I've seen people go through in the stories that they tell I could never imagine doing that. Mm. So, And I'd, I have no idea how they emotionally pulled through. So mm. 
I think people deal with that and they don't realise that they're being resilient. It's just packaged differently and it looks differently. So people don't give themselves enough credit for the things that they've been through and the lessons that they've learned. And maybe they just haven't reflected Mm. upon the experiences that they have because they haven't had the opportunity to reflect on their career or or personal lives like we do. Yeah. Yeah. Or to talk about it. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And so that that's Ken. And then you had you've had a couple of, as you say, you've had four coaches. Uh, I'm curious. Um, I mean, in the book, it, it strikes me that you know Rowan and and Stefan really come at things a little bit different than making you swim with shoes on. Mm. Not not saying it's good or better, but it's different, right? Just different. Yeah. Yep. So I'm, I'm interested to what 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 was different about um, those two in particular. Well, Stefan was Swiss to start with, mm. so he had a very technical background. He was very – he changed my whole technique from what Ken was doing. That was about overtraining, about just getting the kilometres under your belt, belt, building a massive base, and then Stefan was about tweaking that, so about really fine-tuning things. And it's kind of like Tiger Woods when he stepped back from his golf swing. It was mm. kind of – he stepped back for a little bit, changed it, adapted it, and came back again – it was kind of like that for me. So yeah. it was taking that huge base of work that we had and just changing the stroke to be a little bit more technically smoother, mm. bit a uh, bit more efficient. And, yeah, that's what he was so brilliant at. So mm. he had that really analytical mind to be able to take a stroke, pull it apart, adapt it, twist it, put it back together mm. and, and make it a different stroke. So yeah. that's what Stefan was brilliant mm. at. And, yeah, he changed my stroke to be technically more advanced Mm. and so that helped me there. So I had the base, I had the physical base and I had the technique base which he put on top of that. So, uh, What about the mental side of things? He was great actually in the way that he was about balance. So Mm. he was always about people studying outside of swimming. Uh, He was very big on that. That was very important to him. Mm. So he helped me with that and he was very integral in getting me to do other things outside of swimming, which I am I still credit him today to help me with that. Mm. So, yeah, that was certainly something I'm very grateful for. Um, yeah. Mentally, he was very good at – so there was a saying that he used to have was leave your shit at the door. So yeah. it was – it wasn't about no emotion. We were allowed to have emotion, but it mm. was about leaving anything that was heavy at the door, not bringing that with you – Getting the job done, you're here to work. We weren't allowed to have phones on pool deck. So it was about that. It was yeah. really focused on elite performance, about racing and about training hard mm. and doing it well, Yeah, which I loved. I yeah. think that was great. Yeah. And yeah. I think it's something that people can take into everyday lives yeah. because I think a lot of people drag things with them all the time and mm. they might come to work and, and things are really weighing heavily on them. It might be the drive on the way to work or something. Yeah. It's like leave that behind that's been done now mm. and refocus and, and yeah. move on. Yeah, I mean, a phrase we sometimes use is, and, and we sort of think about it in the reverse, you know, if you've had a bad day at the office, that doesn't need to mean a bad night at home no. with your kids, you yeah. know. So it's, it's, it, it's, it's a fine balance though, isn't it? Because we're all people. And as you say, when it's, not about, it's not about suppressing or sweeping no. stuff under the carpet, yeah. but it's about what being mindful, being intentional and saying, am I showing up as the person... I want to be. Are you showing yeah. up as the swimmer yep. you want to be when you walk on the pool deck? And do you want to take that with you? Mm, if yeah. Are they heavy bags? Don't yeah. take it with you. Yeah. Um, and if you can lighten the load a little bit, if you mm. can share it with intention and um, not offloading or, you know, if you need if you need professional help, seek professional help because yeah. sometimes I think partners and husbands and wives and friends and family 
get lumped with a lot of things that probably need to be spoken about with a professional. But yeah. it's just about having conscious discussions about, okay, this is what's bothering me. I need to get this off my chest. And, and, and also I think having respect for the person that you're with if they have the capacity to deal with that mm. right now because some of us are really overloaded at the moment. Yeah. And, yeah, that person needs to have the capacity. But it's up to you to choose whether you want to take that with you or not. Yeah. But we certainly didn't let anything external disturb what was going on because we also had to respect other athletes that were yeah. turning up to train. Yeah. So that was their two hours to train. So we couldn't. We yeah we had to be responsible for our own stuff that we weren't affecting other people. Yeah. Okay, so thinking about the coaches and then maybe going even a bit broader then in terms of how the culture in in general, whether that's in an organisation or a bigger um, you know, business or swimming Australia or, or within a team. Um, I'm I'm interested to hear how you um, observed because you went to four Olympic games and I, I realise there's a lot more t- than it just Olympic games. But it's a nice they're nice temporal yeah they are beautiful you know? yeah and it's sort of you started your career and ended your career with the Olympics so yes. even, so even if we just use them as the as the as the as the milestones if you like how how did you observe the different cultures as as different people came in and different leadership and that? how did that impact not only collective performance but individuals within there it was completely different so looking at 2000 that was really the golden era of swimming and I was very lucky to be a part of that and something that they had worked on really hard because being a home olympics in sydney we a, a lot of funding had been injected into sport in general um to perform well and I think a lot of that, though, was culture and that was the most important part because I was 14, turning 15 just before the Olympics and so to be that young and part of a team, I never felt ostracised, I never felt different, even though the next person in age to me was 18, which Mm. I have nothing in common. Why does an Mm. 18-year-old want to hang out with a 14-year-old? Probably don't really want to. Mm. But I never felt different. I always felt part of a team and I always felt I just slipped straight into a group that was very welcoming. And and not that anyone in particular mentored me in Mm. that sense, but I just felt like I was a part of something and I never felt left out I never felt different I never felt I was just part of a team like Mm. it was always part of that puzzle and you just sort of clicked in and 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 look got to be brutally honest there's 60 people you're not going to like everyone and not everyone's going to like you Mm. but we all got along and we all got a job done Mm. and looking at that culture and how lucky I was to be a part of that I sort of just stepped into it it was already pre-made for me it was already delivered and I didn't realise how lucky I was to have that all that hard work that they had done to build that fantastic culture of a swim team, the Australian swim team, which was so – it was a hard team to be a part of because it, the selection criteria was yeah. so so tough and stringent, but that culture, I just didn't realise how lucky I was that, mm. that people – you thought that was the norm, right? I thought that was the yeah, norm. Yeah, all teams I thought must every, be like yeah, this. Yeah, all teams – all successful teams must be like yeah. this, but – I didn't realise until when it started to change that it's like steering the Titanic. You don't know how to change. You can't Mm. change it quickly. It it deteriorates over time and once it's gone, it's very hard to get back. Mm. So I feel, I I guess, partly responsible because I I was a leader at that time and Mm. and didn't see it happening and it probably wasn't until 2010 that we thought, oh, okay, this is not, you know, iceberg ahead. We're seeing it but we didn't steer away from it. So... Uh, uh, I don't know how we would have changed it, but culture is just so integral to the success of a team because mm. it started going downhill and 
it takes a long time to get back. So yeah. if you can hold on to it, mm. I think would be the better part. Yeah. There's an interesting uh, theory that, um, you know, once you've established that strong culture, um, you've got to start rebuilding for the next one. Yeah. And, you know, rather than just go, oh, we've nailed it. Look at this. How good, how good is this? <laughs> We're amazing. Yeah. We don't need to do anything. Yeah. It's the idea that, you know, you're probably most vulnerable when you're at your best and because you've just take the gas, you know, that's the right. gas a fraction. So it's just and you've got the success that you wanted out of that, mm. not realising that it was the culture that was a, an integral part of that success. So mm. everyone sees the success and goes, oh, that's because everyone's training hard. No, well, it's probably a lot of it's to do yeah. with the culture and the people you've got around you. So if you were to fast forward, or, or actually let's use time travel instead. Let's say that you, instead of coming in as a 15-year-old into 2000 squad, you came in as a 15-year-old into the 2012 squad in mm. London which got massive press coverage mm. in Australia in particular for being relatively dysfunctional and the Rotten. worst. Yep. Okay, you, that's your word. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so, um, but, and it was, you know, and it, objectively speaking, it was one of the worst performing mm -hmm. teams that we'd Easily. set. Right? Yep. So Easily. So how would, how, I know this is very hypothetical, but how would your experience as a 15-year-old in that team have differed compared to going into 2000? I would not want to be a part of the Australian swim team. I mm. would be... If that's what it had been sold to me as with this, if those kids growing up, they would have been probably oh, in, oh, they wouldn't have witnessed the golden era of swimming in 2000. Mm. They would have been too young. But if you had seen the success that we had, they would have think, I would have felt this is not what I signed up for. That's right. not what I pictured it to be like. Yep. And I've seen athletes that were a part of that team and it might have been their first Olympic team went, this is not for me mm. and ended up right. finish finishing the sport really young. Wow. And that's really disappointing because that's not the experience I had. Mm. And I loved the Australian swim team. I loved being a part of it. And every team that I was a part of, I really thoroughly enjoyed it. And I would hate for anyone not to experience what I got to experience mm. and to have the success that we had because your team carried you all the mm. way through. It didn't. It was so light. It was not a burden on performance. Mm. And it was not heavy. It was not hard. It was... Your team carried you, so yeah. that was part of the culture. So I would hate that anyone had to experience the team like it was and not to have the great experiences and the great learnings that mm. I had throughout my career because it really was such a wonderful time in my life to be a part of that swim team. Mm. And I had people like Susie O'Neill and Kieran Perkins mm. and Grant Hackett and yeah. um, Jeff Hugel and we had huge names mm. on that team and I was so lucky to be a part of that. Mm. It and they supported you, right? A hundred percent, As yeah. opposed to in 2012 where you had members of the Aussie team cheering for other, other, nations, other nations against Australian swimmers. Yeah, while you're sitting in the crowd yeah, with Australian athletes. A curious it, thing, right? Yeah, really so, bizarre. Yeah. Um, I've never witnessed anything like that mm. before and it just blew my mind. And look, those people are your friends and mm. that's completely fine, but it's when it's so vocal like that. Anyway, that mm. was just a really small part in a big, big puzzle that was dysfunctional. Yeah, it's a small part, but it's a it's an interesting indicator of, of you know... The health of a team. Yeah, yep. yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, really bizarre. And it, it does, it breaks my heart that anyone has a really bad experience being a part of the Australian swim team because it's certainly not what it was like. So based on, I mean, obviously you stepped away from swimming um, at the, at the, after London. Um, from now and out, I mean, I don't know to what extent you're involved still with Swimming Australia at all, but do you see that obviously there was a big hoo-ha, <laughs> there was a lot of coverage about it, and I'd imagine that any organisation faced with that would make some deliberate actions to try and address that. Do you see that there, there have been learnings 
from there. What is it, eight years since? Yeah, I think there's been huge learnings and mm. I think they've made some really positive changes and I think they've had to work really hard mm. to change the culture because once that's gone, it's very hard to get back because mm. you have to change the mindset of the people that are part of that team. Mm. And so I think they've worked really hard. I think they've got it to a point. I just feel like maybe it should have been done a bit earlier and maybe it wouldn't have deteriorated, yeah. but hypothetical, you know, yeah, hind- hindsight's a wonderful yeah. thing, isn't yeah. it? So it's a shame that it got to that point and that they've had to work so hard to change it. But I think they're doing a really good job and I think they're focused on it and and have worked hard. I It will be, I think, very hard to get it back to what it was in yeah. 2000. I don't know if it will ever look like that again, but mm. it doesn't really matter. I mean, the... the I commend them for the effort that they've put in. They've certainly worked very hard and a lot of the athletes are on board and, and really conscious of changing the culture and, and getting it back to similar to what it was and the results will show eventually. So I do definitely commend them on that. Yeah. All right. So let's just shift focus a little bit to – so we've spoken about coach, we've spoken about um, you know the wider team, the culture. One of the things that I'm fascinated by is how do you, people like you who are – legitimately the best in the world so you know and when you break a record the best of all time yeah you still inevitably cop criticism from somewhere about something and I'm really interested to hear how that lands and then how you do you internalize that do you process that and I'm sure it's different for everyone but for example when you know someone like Dawn Fraser criticizes your attitude Mm -hmm. or um, a journalist makes a you know, dreadful comment about your appearance or someone in the pub, member of the public says, you know, comes up to you, doesn't know you, they know your name, but yeah. they've got no idea who you are and, yeah. and gives them a pearl, gives you a pearl of wisdom. Yes. <laughs> yeah, real pearl. Great, <laughs> yeah, right, thanks. You know, yeah, I'll like, take the oyster instead. Right. Thanks, yeah. <laughs> so how do you, what's that like? Like, what is that like? Yeah, it took me a really long time to learn that skill of those people don't matter because they don't know me personally. And... I don't, I don't think I still have really nailed it. I don't I think I can tell any, from your face. I know, yeah. I don't, <laughs> actually, it still really shits me. It actually really shits me. No, it's, uh, it takes a really long time to learn mm. that. I still haven't nailed it. But mm. to remind yourself that the only people that matter are the ones that are closest to you and mm. who know you the best, if their opinion starts dropping of me, mm. if their opinion of me drops a little, then I know I'm doing something wrong. Mm. So that's the, they are the only people I hold accountable for their opinion and what I care, how much I care about is what they think of me, mm. other people that know me best. Mm. So if, yeah, if their opinion of me is dropping, then I'm doing something wrong. Yeah. So, but it takes a really long time because now with the rise of social media, you're yep. now accessible to everybody. Yep. Everyone can have their say and it gives everyone a platform to yep. be able to say exactly what they want. So, mm. I mean, that's pretty ballsy to come up to someone and say what you make, what yeah. you want at a parade. Yeah. At least that person did it to your face. That's right, right. I mean, there yeah. Was, if there was a one positive, at least they well, had the courage to say it to your that's face. That's ballsy. Like, yeah. yeah, it's big. Yeah. So. And but now you can be pretty gutless, and you yeah. know you can be a fake profile on yeah. on Instagram and say whatever you like. So, yeah, it's uh, I just I don't know how athletes deal with social mm. media now. I think it's a really big hurdle that they've got to deal with, and, and it opens you up to everyone. Mm. I'm I'm a fairly private person mm. with my private life, but yeah, it's it's they've got to deal with it now. Yeah. It's really shocking. But back then. Um, particularly when people criticise me that we should probably know better. Mm. Um, 
and who still don't know you from a bar of soap. Yeah. They have no idea about your background. They yeah. have no idea how you've grown up and then they still throw criticism without speaking to you first. Yeah. I sort of – that does not – that does not float with me. Yeah. So – and I, never say never. You can, you can never say never. No. But – I would just struggle with criticising someone without knowing the story behind the scenes or what's actually going on mm. for them um, and publicly criticising them yeah. without ever speaking to them first. Yeah, it's, it's a, it, you have, a, a, you know, an athlete like yourself, you have such a, a bizarre, you know, you have a bizarre existence where people feel they know you, mm. they feel they can, um, you know, they're all, everyone's an amateur psychologist and, can, <laughs> yeah. you know, and they know exactly... Uh, what it is that you need to do to sort yourself out and and it for me it's like you know you, you're sort of amplified and scrutinized in a way that no one else is but the the irony of that is the scrutiny is on such a small thin sliver mm. of who you are as a person and you know the, we often talk about the, the iceberg mm. analogy where there's all the other stuff under the water that no one sees and we oh we don't need that we we can say you know a, a, a still shot of someone's face and we yeah. know we know what they're thinking and we know this and that and mm. you alluded to it before you know the social media stuff I'm I'm wondering if you were in front of a group of young athletes now who you know whether it's footballers Olympians whoever it might be and if you observe what they, you know, watch a game on Channel 9, straight after the game in the sheds, everyone's looking down at phones, mm. scrolling through what people, you know, absolute no one, you know, without yeah. being disrespectful, but no one's on yeah. on social media. You've got, oh, it's a good game, bad game, this, that, and the other. What would your advice be? Like, oh, is it as Don't sim- read it, is, yeah. Is it that easy, though? It's not. <laughs> it is very hard, but back when... I was swimming back mm. in the olden days. <laughs> uh, we, we, the rule was don't Google yourself. Right. Just don't Google yourself. Yeah. It's not going to end well. There's going to be articles and yeah. people written. And um, I was with an AFL footballer and there was something called uh, – there's an AFL footy forum that everyone can okay. speak on. Anyway, yeah. never anything positive <laughs> on there. And so for him it was a case of don't look at it, don't yeah. read it. You don't need to know yeah. what other people's opinions are of you when they've never played yeah. an AFL game in their life or never been to an Olympic Games. Yeah. They don't know what it's like, so don't – you just have to not listen to it. And it is really hard because once you start going down a rabbit hole, you start believing things and you start yeah. reading things. And if you don't catch yourself early enough, you can get into a really tricky spot. And we see that uh, host of Love Island mm. just recently, which was really tragic. And it just makes me really sad. There's people like Charlotte Dawson yeah. um, and Elise Brackensack. It's just, yeah. it's devastating to see people who can be affected by it. And if you are sensitive to those sort of things, I certainly am very sensitive mm. to those sort of things. I don't engage. So yeah. it's just about block and delete, block and delete, move yeah. on. So, and just having that bit of distance, get back into reality, catch up with your friends, catch up with people who love you and know you more than anybody else, mm-hmm. and just put it behind because you do have to have a bit of self control to shut it off and, mm. and not read what people have to say. Don't engage, just block and delete. Yeah. Okay. It's tricky. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. 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 It's, you know, so I'm, we've spoken a little bit about that external stuff. So then now, we can sort of round out by saying okay so you've got the coach the team the external stuff but i'm really interested in the internal stuff mm. you know those into because you must have again you're different in the sense of you have a drive that people don't have mm. it, when people when you if you say to someone oh yeah you know um i'll do weights till i cry 99.9 percent 99.999 percent of the population will go don't be stupid stop 
but you don't. What is it? What does it take to be an Olympian, and what's the downside of that from an internal, from a lethal point of view? Unfortunately, I don't have that now. I wish <laughs> I had a sliver of it now because it'd be so handy. And often I'll be driving, and I think I can't believe I did half the stuff that I did. Mm. But it is so easy when that dream is a reality for you. So winning the Olympic gold medal was a reality for me. That I was, it was far in my capability. I was more than capable of achieving it and that's what I really wanted. I've never been so clear in my life about something that I wanted to achieve. I was, I've never been so clear in how I was going to achieve it and what I needed to do along the way. Mm. So that clarity is such a beautiful thing to yeah. have. I've never had it since I've retired, which right. absolutely kills me because mm. I would love to have something that I could put my finger on and just go that's what I want I'm going to do this 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 and this to achieve it it's in my capability I'm able to achieve that and this is how I'm going to make it work I don't have that clarity Mm. now so I understand what it feels like in that space now to look at someone else and go oh but how did you do that and Mm. how could you possibly push yourself until you cry and your Mm. goggles fill with water because they're so full of tears and Mm. it's I I can't do that about anything now. I don't have that kind of tenacity to mm. achieve something because I've, I'm not... But are you happier like, now? Yes and no. Mm. Uh, no in the way that I loved that clarity. I love mm. that military-style training. I love that discipline. I love routine. I love... I love being the best in the world at something. That is really cool. It's a really cool thing to say, I am undeniably the best in the world at what I do right Mm. now. That's a really cool Mm. feeling. I miss that so much. Mm. I miss because even in business, Jeff Bezos, is he, Mm. you know, he's one of the richest people in the world, but is he the best? Has he won business? Has he won business? (laughs) We don't, there's no data or statistics to say, you are 100% the best in the world right now. So to be in sport and to say you are the fastest person in history to Mm. ever do something because you've got the world record Mm. is very cool. Mm. I will never feel that again. Mm. So that made me really happy. I really enjoyed that. Mm. But it came at a cost of things that now make me happy, which is relationships and friends and family and and the the happy, good feeling stories, Mm. which I missed out on before. But And, you know, we've spoken about values before and – I valued very much success um, and wealth and finance and things like that. Mm. I I valued that very highly. So that really fit into looking back on what I valued very highly. So it was a very nice fit. Yeah. So when we think about now, you you know, you're studying, but you're not quite sure where that's going. I'm curious mm. by with someone who is, you know, as you say, not only were you the best, but it was quite easy. It was quite easy to see by how far you were the best yeah. and, and all the <laughs> things you needed to do. Yeah. Um, that sense of um, the unknown, that sense mm. of not, you know, not quite. I'm 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 going back to what I said at the start. That idea of being the fish out of water. Mm. Do you still feel like the fish out of water? Do you still feel like that? Is that something that is actually you're now comfortable with? Are you comfortable being uncomfortable, if that makes sense? Not really. I don't think I'm very good at that yet. Mm. And I probably feel more uncomfortable now because I don't have that specific goal to to strive for and I can't see the steps to how to make something happen because that goal is not defined. Mm. And so I struggle more with that. So... 
it was probably easier as an athlete because it was very clear to me mm. every day what I was getting up for. Mm. If I was feeling really horrible, I'd get up and go, well, this is why we're doing it because mm. someone on the other side of the world is training. So I probably struggle more with it now, although I understand myself better now. Mm. So I, I understand what makes me tick and I know why I do things and I know when something's not feeling right, why it feel, doesn't feel right. Mm. And... So it's better that I know that, yeah. but I feel worse now because I don't have a clear defined goal mm. as to what it is. And as soon as I put my finger on something, I think, nah, I don't really like that. Mm. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so it changes. But the uh, but this is the as we spoke about, like you kind of you were fast trapped, but you can't you kind of missed out this bit. I did. Because right? well, people are yeah. doing this when you were up at four AM doing exactly. fifty laps or thirty laps in shoes, right? Yeah. That's what everyone else was doing. So But do you know what the problem is? I feel like a school leaver now, like mm. I've just finished year twelve yeah. and everyone's asking, What are you gonna do? Are you gonna <laughs> study? And I can't take a year off to do a Kentucky tour. Why not? Oh, no. no. Yeah, no. No, but Kentucky are gone. Oh, it's oh, like, I, I, think, I think literally you can't do that. Oh, really? I think so. Oh, I'm not well, sure. I might be well, wrong, there you go. Well, I definitely can't do it. Start your own Kentucky company. Yeah, done. that's right. No, yeah, go. travel business, <laughs> done. Um, but, but yeah, yeah. It's, I think there's a lot of external expectations about where I should be in life, but mm. there are also internal expectations. Well, what am I, 34 now? So I should be here, I should be doing this, I should be doing that. Whereas I sort of feel like I'm a school leaver. Mm. So I'm still figuring out what I want to do when I grow up and what do I want to study. And, and a lot of people have got one or two degrees under their belt. They've mm. already got the experience in work and I'm not at that level. So it's quite challenging in that way that mm. as much as I progressed very quickly, very young, I feel like I'm very immature in some parts and I'm going back. Mm to probably what an 18-year-old would be doing now, yeah. even though I'm 34. Yeah, okay. So if we um, just round it out by thinking in terms of the um, 2012, because what was interesting in 2012 is, so I, I'm reading the book and it's all about, oh, you know, I'm disappointed, I want to die because I've finished third with a bronze medal. Mm. You go to Mykonos, the most beautiful place <laughs> in the world, you can't raise a smile. Um, you, there's a particularly dark time in uh, when you're training at altitude, um, it, it's you go to the depth, literally, you know, the depths of um, despair and depression, and then in 2012 you come fifth, mm. fifth, yeah, rubbish, <laughs> yeah, <And> <laughs> totally <laughs> rubbish. <laughs> and but yet you say the feeling is I'm content, yeah, um, and I'm, I'm, that for me fascinates me. It's like this complete personal growth journey where it's weird, right? You're taught just, just. <laughs> By way of sort of closing, I've, I've got a couple of what I think are funny questions to okay, close out. Okay, yeah, but, awesome. I know, love those. But everyone needs to know the yeah, answers yeah, yeah, to yeah, yeah. But, um, yeah, just on this one, um, yeah, like, talk to me just ha that full arc of, you know, it's fifth, but you're yeah. content. Yeah, and because I had done so much work on myself mm. before that and I was just really proud to be there because, um, you know, a bit of a trigger warning, I was – contemplating taking my own life probably about 18 months earlier so for me just to be there was a was a huge achievement so mm. and to make my fourth olympic team which i wanted to do first australian swimmer to do that and i had achieved that and i thought you know what i've i self-sabotaged so much before mm. that games i still made it and i thought you know what you've still got the ability and the skill to make it to your fourth olympic games and i just felt stronger than ever because as much as i had been broken i felt like i'd been put together much stronger and things that were really hurtful that were said about me I felt I felt empowered by them mm. rather than 
dejected, which I probably would have in 2004. Those things were really cutting and really hurting and I just felt like I developed a much thicker skin and I think that's where I probably realised, like we said before, um, I only care now about those people closest to me who know the most and if they tell me I'm being a dickhead or you know, something's going on, then I only respect their opinion. Mm. Um, So that was probably the time that I was starting to learn that and it had finally clicked in for me. So as much as I was, it wasn't my greatest performance, I really, Mm. look, I wasn't as fit as as I was in 2008, Mm. but I certainly wasn't doing everything before 2008. Mm. I was a bitch to live with. Like I wouldn't want to live with me. A horrible person to live with. So... I wasn't that person anymore. Yeah. I, was, I was a much more well-rounded person. Yeah. So, um, yeah, no wonder my ex-fiance left me. It was just horrible <laughs> to live with. <laughs> <laughs> so if we, um, I wouldn't date me. Okay, like, no, well, thanks. fair enough. No, fair enough. I wouldn't. Right. I wouldn't. <laughs> horrible. So I wanted to, um, yeah, just finish with a couple of uh, questions. So you were on. Um, I'm a celebrity, get me out of here. Oh, yeah. You know what? Everyone forgets that because yeah. I was the inaugural first of the first person to get out. Yeah, right. Yep. So I'll take that. Well, there's that. a first. <laughs> yeah, I didn't win. I'm not yeah, the first yeah, person to yeah, ever win. I'm yeah. the first person to ever go out, yeah, ever okay. on the show. But you were still there for 10 days. Yes. From yeah, And it, to be honest, I mean, look, I've, I've not watched a great deal of I'm a Celebrity Get Me Out because I'm not that keen on watching people eat bugs and yeah. whatever. And Ostrich anus? What, you don't want to watch <laughs> no, people I don't want to eat watch ostrich that. anus? I, it's oh. not my thing. Okay, right? it's not your bag. Uh, it's That's not right. my bag. Because uh, I'm looking at going, I'm, so I'm, I'm genuinely interested. What's harder? A, um, a, a, a hard training block in the pool or 10 days in the South? So 10 day hard training block or 10 days in uh, South African jungle? Ten, yeah, I'm going to say 10 days in the South African jungle because... Mm. I was so bored. Mm. It is so boring. <laughs> There's nothing to do. Mm. And I love reading. Reading's mm. my favourite thing. And I couldn't read anything. I wasn't allowed to do oh, that. Right, yeah. And because you're so hungry and tired, you need something to distract you, mm. distract your sound of your stomach growling from hunger. Mm. We couldn't do anything. And you didn't have the energy to talk to anyone. So yeah. usually I would just talk to people. Oh, I'm so tired. Yeah. Um, much harder. Because oh, yeah. and everything's out of your control mm. in tra- in a training block. I can control that. Mm. I can back off. I yeah. can say, "Oh, too hard," or "Going too much," or "I need to rest." I yeah. can control that. I had no control. You had to ask to go to the the pond thing, yeah. the waterfall thing, and you could only go in groups of three. And I just mm. hated that. Yeah. I thought I just want to go for a walk or go do something. You had to stay in your bed. It was yeah. just. A nightmare. Yeah. Oh, the hardest 10 days of my life. I've never been so bored in my entire life. Yeah. I thought my brain was turning to mush yeah. because it was just, I wasn't using it. Yeah. I was just too tired. Okay. I, w- I, won't, I won't sign up. Um, Don't. No. Definitely <laughs> well, not. I'm not a celebrity for starters, <laughs> so it's, it's a no-brainer. Um, okay. What, why, why on earth? I can get, I can get it for kids because they've got to go to school, but yeah. what's the deal with 4 a.m. starts for swimmers? Yeah, I get asked that question a lot. Mm. It's because a lot of swimmers work as well, work and go to university, so you just get it done early. A lot of the time it's up to the coach. So my Mm. coach, Ken, was up at 3 a.m. So he was like, well, I'm not hanging around to wait for you guys at (laughs) 5, so we may as well start at 4. So that was his reasoning. It's usually kids go to school and usually even if there are senior athletes on the team, there's still kids in there. They might be 13, 14, 15. So we've got to be conscious. That's just purely practical for yeah it's just practical yeah Yeah, you get a rest in between you go to gym you do whatever you need to do so yeah yeah, usually people work or go to uni yeah all right do you still swim no 
Definitely not. No? No. If I go to the beach, I dip. Right. People laugh at that. I just yeah. have a dip. Really? That's it. And I just don't like being wet. <laughs> <laughs> That'll do. <me. laughs> That'll do. Because yeah, I was going to think, but I was hoping that you'd say yes. And I was hoping that members oh. of the public would try and subconsciously race you. Oh, <laughs> no. But no, you don't even go in the pool. No, no, because no. you hate getting wet. I hate getting Brilliant. wet. I just hate wet hair. Yeah. I hate. Just that was the one thing when I was in London before I retired. I was like, I just don't want to put a suit on anymore. Yeah. I really don't. I don't want to put wet suits on, yeah. get out of suits and put another pair of wet bathers on. Oh, mm. I just was so sick of yeah. it in the end. I just thought, I just want to be dry. Yeah. Just want to, I want dry hair. Fair enough. Half decent skin. And yeah. 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 And the last one, everyone's like, you're all peeing in the pool, aren't you? Most people are. Oh, yeah. stop it. <laughs> but that's what chlorine's for. It kills everything. But in, I didn't because if drug testers come, you need to be able to pee on command. And yeah. the quicker you pee, the quicker you get your test done. Right, of course. So I used to hold it and go, well, if the drug testers yeah. come, I'm ready to go. ready to go. I mean, I was always first and I'm always the quickest. <laughs> so I would always go first. So mine was very strategic holding on to it so I could get rid of the drug testers quicker than everyone else. Beautiful. Liesl, thank you so much for... Um, for joining My us pleasure. today um i'm looking forward again to working with you again in a couple of weeks time and all the best for whatever uh, this life takes you because i think uh, whatever it's going to be i'm pretty sure you're going to be successful well i have no idea where i'm going so if i don't know where i'm going then i don't know what's successful and what's not so it'll be just a fun ride it's going to be an adventure <laughs> thanks see ya as Liesl mentioned there, um, a trigger warning, if that conversation has brought anything up for you, if you're in Australia, uh, the lifeline number is 13 11 14. But I'm also aware we have many people listening in all different countries, so I've put a link in the show notes which gives you uh, the list of numbers to call no matter what country you are in. Now, if you found that conversation worthwhile, interesting, as we always say, there's a fair chance that somebody you know would. So please feel free to share this as widely as you can within your networks. Also, please leave us a comment, give us a rating on iTunes or Spotify or wherever you get your um, podcasts. And of course, please don't forget to subscribe. Our next episode is a question and answer episode with Tim and I. So um, if you do have any burning questions about anything to do with uh, what it means to thrive and, and leading others, then head over to habitsofleadership.com, click on the podcast page there, and you can leave us a question. Also, perhaps you might have suggestions for guests, or perhaps you yourself would like to be a guest. Maybe you want to find out uh, about some of the work we do. Again, everything you need to know about us, you can find over at Habits of leadership.com but until next time thank you very much for listening take care take it easy